Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's session, which was recorded on July 13th, was about the right to repair and uh, a really thorny issue uh, where we talked a lot about John Deere and Apple and Tesla of not letting people fix the products they've bought from those companies. Um, why they do that, what the challenges are, how we could avoid it, what, what pressures keep us coming back to companies that are offering goods that we don't have the ability to repair. Uh, and we had a really robust conversation with it. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this topic. It's, it's a major one in the industry. And I think one we'll keep coming back to, especially in the broader Cloud 2030 groups also. Enjoy. So yeah, right to repair, man. It's it's really bad when the the parts cost so little, but you can't get them done because you have to go through a, an authorized repair site. I have a friend who has a um, Microsoft Surface, and he dropped it, and it cracked the screen, Oof. and. Uh, uh, I found sites that said screen was like, uh, and repair were like 160 bucks. But because of the the age of the thing, the cheapest he could get it repaired for was 600 bucks. Which is basically a cost of a new unit. Yep, he ended up buying a new one. Huh. And why? why was the, what drove that price so high? Was it uh, right to repair stuff or just? It's all right to repair. Microsoft doesn't allow their screens to be replaced. After a certain generation? Uh, if it's, if it's uh, under warranty. Even, if, even to void the warranty. You, you can't even void the warranty to get your screen replaced. You just can't get it replaced without going to a Microsoft dealer. And that's the same thing with, with Apple here. Try getting an iPhone screen replaced on a 11 or 12. You go to China and you walk into any store and they'll replace it for you. 30 bucks oh, really? or whatever. Here, you can't they, get it done. They don't report, enforce the laws in China, I assume. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that actually have those stores used to work at a factory <laughs> that made those things have the screens yeah right but is it is it a question of the people in china have you know i'm su- assuming the parts are available in both the cases. parts are very available it's what whether um apple or microsoft or john deere can stick the law after you right which may and and uh, Tesla's Tesla's a similar case, right? About X, you know, change. Tesla and John Deere is notorious. You're not allowed to touch anything inside of your tractor that's not a uh, user interface, even though you've paid hundreds of thousands for it. Actually, it's your combine at that point, but right. So who is that a question of ownership or license? 
I'm trying uh, to it's because there's there's parts of me that understand the concern, and there's parts of right because there are parts of our products that we protect, but there's at the same time I have a lot of empathy for the, the owners on this case and and what they should be able or are not able to do. So I'm I'm trying to untangle this because so it it's a quest it's a question of license versus ownership. So for lots and lots for decades you have seen products which you have paid for you ostensibly own that says no user serviceable parts inside right and the companies who make these products have taken it a step further and saying if you open this up and try to repair it you will be committing theft. And anyone who does this for you will be committing theft, even though you've purchased the product. Which is different from simply voiding a warranty if you open it up and try to repair it. Exactly. Just there's a New York Times article, I think, about self-serve ice cream machines. Um. Or there was there was a really good article about the soft soft serve ice cream machines at, at McDonald's that are like this also. There, and the company wasn't giving good support, and they would still avoid, you know they would like threaten your franchise if you plugged in a USB into the device. There was a company that was making uh, alternate devices for for those soft serve machines. Yep, and right now the right to repair is pretty much. Hardware and firmware, but it will extend. But for instance, even music, you have purchased music, you've purchased books, but if the company goes down or if the company removes your access to their service, you have no right to have a copy of that on your system or anywhere else. You're... You're only, even though you theoretically own a copy of the book, your copy is predicated on having been granted access to a specific service. But they don't tell you that anywhere. They told you you bought the book or you bought the song. So I treat streaming services as a rental. I don't treat it as I own it. I treat it as I am renting this because I don't trust the streaming service to be there next year or two years from now. Or next month. Although most uh, of them with, will be, but yeah. With with the streaming service, I don't have any illusions that 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 I'm owning it. Right, right. Uh, Live Napster is my for music and it's you know it's programmable radio it's not a not i don't own any of that music programmable radio but what about when you bought music on apple itunes that was more problematic yeah you would think you would have rights to it but the drm not doesn't necessarily you 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 should be able to take that binary file and use it no matter what um i have some old files like that um yep I have a whole bunch of converted CDs. My CD and the same same thing with Amazon Books. All the so I, I have, yeah. I avoid DRM file. 
files. Like I'll buy the I'll do the MP3 files from Amazon because I know yeah if the MP3 format go ever goes out of style, those files are DRM free. I can convert them to whatever the new format is. Great. And this is actually a problem with libraries at the moment because libraries are buying electronic copies of books. And mm -hmm. it turns out that their bought copies actually have an expiration date. They're worse than that. They actually have a use limit too. Like when, when you get a digital copy out of the library, they only are allowed to use that copy like 10 times or they have to buy it again. Yep. Which is, I mean, which, which I think the authors, the publishers um, have an expected, a life expectancy for books, like shelf books. And they know have, you know, like hardbound can be um, loaned like 20 times and paperbacks can be loaned like five times or something before they're unusable, which seems out, seems strange to me. I've, I've seen much older <laughs> paperbacks. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's a boon to the, authors you know the publishers because they can actually be like nope you only get 10 uses out of this digital book before it's and um, and this is why the open library and um the digital library are currently yet again in another lawsuit with the publishers and many authors because well, the other go ahead you think the the com the computed number of times a book can be loaned a physical book, if somebody loses or damages beyond use that book, most libraries charge the 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 the, the customer for the damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and there are also many libraries that, uh, if they deem a work worth keeping, will keep it in their. Uh, in their collection forever. And it can be checked out forever, but you can't do that with the, the digital versions because, oh, you're only gonna get 10 uses out of this. Uh, but yeah, there's still a lawsuit about the uh, emergency opening of the open library so people could check out more stuff. And uh Internet Archive actually took authors' requests to remove their works from the library and would remove them. But a lot of authors were upset because their, uh, their works were suddenly available digitally to anyone and everyone. And I think part of the issue might have been um, that there was this impression that they would loan out the thing to as many people as requested it on an emergency basis. Oh, look, I just got the distance DevOps notification. <laughs> it's slowly winding its way through the internet. But I, <laughs> so, but I want to step back because this, this is like, we're just, we're talking about digital goods. And instead of digital goods being more pervasive, we're actually showing them as being 
more restricted than yes. physical goods? Yes. Which is counterintuitive to what I would have expected 20 years ago, right? There's no friction. There's no re reproduction costs. It's, it's incredible that we've turned DRM into a enforcement mechanism to limit the reuse, redistribution. Oh, this was all intentional way back when by the uh, publishers. Yeah. So basically the publishers are benefiting from the new efficiency of the digital format, not everyone else. Right. They're, they're, they're preventing unauthorized copy and use, which on the surface is a good thing, right? This no, is, they're this preventing is... unauthorized access to copies as opposed to unauthorized copies. But this was, I, there was, what, there was a pop song about this 15 years ago about people uh, streaming, you know, ripping and, and sharing back in the early Napster days. Um, somebody, it was... I'd have to look up who wrote the song. Um, but it was like, oh, I love your music. So I, I ripped the copy and I gave it to a hundred of my friends. Um, I, I, what I and, wanted to do is talk through the other side of this. Cause I, I, I don't think this is necessarily bad. So this, this, the, yeah. if you look at the history of this, Rob, it goes all the way back and possibly further back than, but it goes back to the cassette tapes where the publishers yeah. wanted a royalty paid on every single cassette tape sold because they thought that people were stealing copies, essentially ripping copies, and so they should get royalties for all of it. Now, the interesting aspect of that is they don't, in turn, share those royalties across their community to their artists they just keep it all the artists see none of it but this is something that they yeah. they wanted on vcr tapes videotapes and uh cassette tapes they wanted royalties paid on every single tape um, and it, we we used to build yeah all sorts of mixtapes and make cop you know we owned it yep and copy. we also made our own stuff yeah. on those tapes and how do you delineate what deserves a royalty and what doesn't if you charge it before they're ever used yeah that it, that, that doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me to charge the royalty on the on a blank tape I can. Especially since then, you can't even. All you're doing is rewarding the Yushin people, not actually who owns the song or yep. who's who, what but, song actually know, got copied. I have an Amazon book. Can I loan it to a friend? No, I should be able to. I there, own. There is a copy. there is a mechanism to loan um, Amazon titles. There there is a way to do that. They did. I, I haven't actually. We used to do it a couple of years ago, and I haven't seen that done for a while. Yeah, it's certainly not cheaper, right? The the books are not really any today. Exactly, really not any cheaper. Exactly, and and Apple iTunes, uh, you bought the album. At least I used to say you bought it. And uh, there, there was a whole 
there there was a mm. software uh wasn't a library it it was an online uh repository for people to put copies of their CDs. Oh, okay. I thought you were online. Yeah. And it went out of business. And the thing is, is the people had had to send their CDs into the company to get okay. them online. Company went out of business and the people wanted their CDs back. <laughs> I don't know if everyone got theirs back. Some people got theirs back. It took an, an order of a couple few years because okay. they were still in storage. But the company went bankrupt. <laughs> I, but I, I still want to flip this on its head, right? Because John Deere and Tesla have a rationale for this behavior. And, and I, I want to suspend the idea that it's just greed. Like, and, and, because at some point, this is their intellectual property. And if somebody opens the tractor or the car and starts changing it, then they have liability over it not working. And so, um, you know, software has become so integrated into how those things operate that if, if you were going in and, and you know, I, I, can, I can see this scenario, maybe I'll just stick with the Teslas or... Uh, these yeah, stick with the Teslas because John Deere, you know, it's mostly hardware that breaks. I mean, there's software, but they can send out software updates. But it's when the hardware breaks and the hardware is going to break because you're in a field doing stuff that's unfriendly to the hardware, no matter how big or how well engineered oh, it is. I have the same thing with my car. Like if like it's I, I have no problem changing my brakes or changing my oil or fixing filters or things like that. I don't, right. I don't... Imagine John Deere. You bought your car from John Deere. You could not do any of that. None of it. Everything you that had to be done on your car would have to be done by a John Deere uh, authorized technician. Even windshield wiper fluid. And and is, I mean, I can see it on like on certain like you you could argue that even doing windshield wiper fluid wrong and on on something could cause. So these yeah, this this is a farm community. All of these are farmers. All of these guys have been doing this with their tractors for a hundred plus years. Yeah. They've all maintained their tractors that long. And before, all they did was order parts from John Deere if they couldn't get local parts. Now John Deere says you can't you can't open the hood of your half a million dollar combine to even look at it. Well, I, we really it should, there should be Go ahead, Derek. But there should be things that it should be defined a reasonably competent mechanic, whether it's at a mechanic shop or a farmer who has learned how to work on his own equipment can can fix. And I would even say there should be ways that if there's a software update, why can't they do it themselves? They get 
the USB dongle from John Deere and plug it in. And I mean, exactly. And that's part of this whole right to repair thing. John Deere is, is one of the biggest drivers of the right to repair movement. Yeah. People in the automotive industry are just like, they, they won't even, con- there are a lot of software and firmware engineers who won't consider even thinking about working for John Deere because of their tactics. I, but is, are they really that different than a hyperscale cloud provider that has all the, all this behind the scenes mechanisms and pieces like that? I mean, they have APIs, but you, you can't see anything. John Deere doesn't the provide scenes. the APIs. All you have oh, is the end user interface. That's it. So why why doesn't this get driven out of the market? Because right it's called uh, uh, mono, uh, it's monopoly. It's not monopoly. Monopoly something or other. Duopolis. There's another term that is like monopoly, except they're like a couple of few different ones. But for John Deere, it actually is a monopoly. It's a okay. Yeah, duopoly is the. When there's like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, there's a monopony. That's it. Monopony. Monopony? Yeah, that's the new one. So it's like, that's what Fang is, monopony. Okay. Where they have so much market. They have so much market power that they (laughs) they have so much market power that they've driven out any any other alternatives. This because to me, there's an element. I, I see this in the software industry where Right. Everybody assumes you're, everything's going to go SaaS. And the idea that you're going to maintain, you know, install and maintain your own software is, you know, completely out of favor at the moment. And, and so we're not even bothering to make software that you could easily install and maintain yourself. And then, right, we've, we've given, we've, we've given that up. And what we're talking about with John Deere doesn't strike me as that different than the same behavior. It's like, well, you know, it's, we're doing this as tractor as a service now. So it's well, not your problem. So John Deere is doing it as tractor as a service, except that they're making you pay for it. You have to pay for this, right? They're just locking you out of making the changes. It's not a, it's not a service. Right. You pay for everything up front. You pay for all the hardware and everything up front, and then you continue to pay a subscription fee. I would say the other difference is, and I think this could come in in some cases with software too, is you're talking about something that's out in the field, potentially in the middle of nowhere. And the logistical problems that come with having to have somebody come in and maintain it. Yep. And John Deere is perfectly happy to have that thing sit in your field for three weeks or three months if necessary until one of their authorized service personnel can get there. I, it's still, and it's I mean, no, and they have yeah. no responsibility to get someone there in a timely basis. So it's worse than a subscription because it's all on you. It's lose lose, and and if and so your crop is sitting in the field, it can't get can't get exactly the thing you bought does not work. Yep. So why isn't there an alternative? What's keeping market pressure from somebody creating their own tractor? Is it that hard? Well, when you consider that 
uh, combine these days is a, a half million dollar or more investment. Uh, there probably are a couple yeah. places other than John Deere, but a lot of those companies went out of business as uh, th- as the market consolidated. You would think Caterpillar could do it, but Caterpillar no longer does that sort of thing. They've uh, the the verticalization is pretty severe. And then the amount of tech that they're embedding into those tractors nowadays yeah. too. I, I mean, suspect this... that that hmm. there there could easily be a Chinese alternative, and I'm sure John Deere has probably got lobbyists saying national security. Yeah. Is there not a European alternative that might be blocked from some of these things because the the, the Euro- European consumer protection laws being stricter? Um, I would have to do some research to see if uh, who the competition is for John Deere. I'm sh- I know there there's, is some. there's there are no there's there's uh, it's, there's companies in I'm looking at it there's companies in the UK and Japan. Arco in the U.S. and there's a Kloss in Germany. Um, yeah, and part of the issue is just what you design. Well, what about Canada? Does Canada have anything? Canada does have have something. Oro is in that list. This is there. There's an interesting question because I think we're in the process of, you know, computational automation and AI and all these things getting embedded, which is driving these, the cost of these units and complexity of them really high. Um, I wonder if that settles at some point. Uh, Kubota, Mahindra, Massey Ferguson, Komatsu, yeah. Agco, Class. We have, we have a similar thing going on with like Monsanto seed. This, it's an interesting, there's a lot of IP protections. Uh, maybe this is distinctly US, but there's a lot of IP protections that enable this type of behavior that I, I don't, I, I normally would not think, you know, protecting your intellectual property shouldn't be a bad thing, but it seems like we're gone sort of far afield on this this is what i'm I'm really struggling with is like yeah it's it you know there's an open source component for this where you know software should be open and free and i i used to subscribe to that a lot more it's i don't think it's as simple as as that anymore this isn't right right to repair is not necessarily an open source conversation although I, I know it can be so i believe the current right to repair argument is hardware okay but what a lot of these companies are going to say is you used you used a third party part even if it's you know identical and therefore uh, we can't upgrade your software because it might break the system. 
So the first, the first uh, exploit yeah. or or a significant bug that comes along and you're out of the the loop because you put a uh, a sensor re- replaced the sensor that was uh, uh, equivalent but not approved into your system. Mm-hmm. Or a battery, or a yeah, exactly. What's the definition of equivalent? I mean, if they are, if there's a set spec and it meets that spec, then that should be pretty cut and dry. Well, that should be, but fast. But they get to say we haven't tested it and approved it in our lab, so it doesn't count. UL Laboratories is not good enough, or whatever. Mm. I'm not even sure that UL people are checking for UL anymore at this point, right? It's, <laughs> and, and no, no, but the idea that some independent lab could say, okay, this part meets this spec, it is equivalent. Right. And John Deere doesn't have to recognize that lab as being uh, capable. I, but I would say where we sh- where this should end up going is even like, you should be able to print, right? It, it would be reasonable to say, I'm not even going to stock a whole bunch of parts. We're going to print replacement yep. parts. Um, well, you know, again, farmers are an interesting breed. Everybody thinks they're so behind in everything. But diesel was invented so farmers could, could manufacture their own fuel if it came down to that. Hmm. Diesel is easy enough to manufacture. That's one of the reasons diesel was created was so that farmers and other places out in the middle of nowhere would have a supply no matter what. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and even something like glow plugs, the whole it's all actually easier to maintain from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, this part is, it's funny. If you think about it from that perspective, what we're really talking about is, is food supply chain uh, risk. <laughs> um, I wonder if some, how much this agribusiness is a part of it, where agribusiness is happy to have John Deere, you know, the interface with John Deere, get a big contract for, you know, maintenance and things like that. And we're back to small individual farmers. And I just don't know enough farmers. Um, answer this questions but but you brought a good point of in agribusiness especially there is a almost a national security kind of component to it of it's mm-hmm. in a sense essential infrastructure that it, it's our food supply yeah what would it look i mean what would it look like if we actually had you know, you know, back, I, I go back to Model T where people could fix them themselves. I mean, I don't think we're there with cars, although with with electric cars, we could easily be getting to a point where they are once again field maintainable. By- yep. Field replaceable units are, uh, within a vehicle is certainly a reasonable concept with electric cars. I mean, yeah, we could be back to, you know, something as simple as, as that, um, you know, and then 
And it's funny because I, I always expected 3D printing to take off more than it has um, as a as an actual like local manufacturer. Um, still is sort of novelty. Well, as far as I can tell, I haven't seen you know a ton of of things beyond prototyping or hobby stuff. It's it, it's actually if you look a little bit closer, 3D printing is actually getting more press in heavy industry because it turns out to be really effective in building homes where the oh the laying concrete walls and stuff like that or other type walls but yeah it it actually um can build a house in in two days versus two months (laughs) Well, with, with uh, wood as a material, as a material shortage material. Hmm. Yeah, that that shortage is is less there now. It was a supply chain issue. It was transportation issue. Interesting. But a lot of the the three D printing, it's it's also local materials. You make it out of uh, dirt and straw or other things that. Once oh, uh, with okay. the right, a few right imported materials can create something that will last, you know, a hundred years. And it's almost all just from the local environment. So providing shelter also works better in like rural areas too, because you don't have to worry about people density. But yeah, right to repair is uh, you should do a little bit more research into it, Rob, because yeah, there's a, the whole thing about software versus hardware. Uh, and the issue I see with software is you either have to have open source for people to re- re- uh, repair it themselves if they get to that point, although there really aren't that many people that, that can do that. but if you don't have adequate response time, then you shouldn't be providing software that can't be repaired. The other question, oh, sorry. With the software is do you get to something where it's kind of modular like a PC? So I can buy a laptop and within, if they actually keep things to specs, the laptop shipped with Windows on it, but I can put Linux on it. And do you get that way with hardware that, yeah, if, if John Deere is being too much a pain in the rear, there's this other open source operating system that the specs uh, for the tractor, the hardware specs are known enough that somebody else could write new software for it. Obviously, an individual farmer wouldn't, but you could have say to support older older hardware that then might be sold in another country even but yeah to move to more than that kind of model so this is like we 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 are dealing with multiple hardware providers and trying to normalize behavior for systems across multiple hardware providers 
and and then actually interfacing back into other software providers. And it's an it's it's a really significant challenge. Um, and part of the challenge to me is that that part of the work we do is not often seen as valued, um, especially when it just works in 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 the whole transaction with this. Which is which is where I, I you know I come back to the just works component of what John Deere is trying to do. I, I sort of get. Well, except that John Deere controls everything. You don't control anything but the software that you're providing. John Deere controls everything from the tire specification and the bolt specification on the hubs all the way up. They have 100% control of their system. Right. And uh, they want I to think, yeah, charge they, they for every single interface, interaction. I, I, I don't see... Amazon necessarily is doing that. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm I'm generalizing to our industry. Yeah. Um, you know, they they maybe I'm maybe so I'm instead of Amazon, yeah. look at yeah. at Microsoft or um, or IBM, in which their cloud is one hundred percent from hardware through software all the way owned and copyrighted and patented by them. And in lots of ways, if that were a system that you were building into, you would either be a a contractor or subcontractor to those guys, and you'd only have to build it once. And any problem you had, they could go off and fix and make your life easier if they wanted to. They wanted to, yeah. If they wanted to, but uh, if they did it, then it would be easier to get you out of the loop sooner. And so there, there are benefits to owning everything from the ground up, even to the point of, uh, you know, just needing a small team to do it instead of a large team and, and having program managers negotiate across the different divisions. But it's, Hmm. I mean, why shouldn't you be able to replace your screen on your iPhone? If your antenna breaks, why shouldn't you be able to put, get a new antenna? Yeah, or or if Wi-Fi decision that you can't replace a battery, why should you be forced to not you know not replace the batteries on on the? Uh, yeah, especially with what we heard two weeks ago that there's going to be some really nasty battery problems coming down the pike. Oh really? What? Oh yeah one one of our one of our associates mentioned it and then said. You didn't hear it from me. And mm. actually, I find it funny because in the past three weeks, my laptop battery, my old phone battery, both swelled up. So I had to replace my phone. I've ordered a new laptop battery. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then my UPS battery just died this week. It's like... which. 
UPSs, that's a completely different technology because yes, it is, but it's just like coincidence that in the space of like a month, I've had three batteries go bad on me. <laughs> three, three extended life batteries go bad on me. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. Huh. And it's it's just coincidence. It's it's how uh the chips fall, but or at least it is for the UPS battery. <laughs> and and it was hard to figure out that it was a UPS because the UPS was shoved back behind the uh, <laughs> piece of furniture that the TV sits on. And so it's hard to yeah. hear it beeping and then figuring out why it was beeping and figuring yeah. out whether it was what it was plugged into or what was plugged into it or... Did you- could you just replace the battery for it? Are the batteries <coughs> replaceable? Uh, they are replaceable. I have to make sure I get the right one and uh, and put it in. There are processes. There are uh, both the um, manual and there are YouTubes that show how to replace the batteries. But uh, there's enough vagueness. That I have to do more research before I order a battery for it. No, and the other thing was, is that if you order the battery from the manufacturer, it's like a hundred bucks and you're going, is it worth it for the UPS or should I just buy a new UPS? Because there's only one, 1.5 KVA. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cause I, yeah, I had a big APC UPS of 1500, um, battery i replaced a few years ago went down to low i think it was batteries plus or something it's like 40 bucks new battery they had it in stock that's an interesting thing batteries plus i might have to look at that because you know got one in the area yeah right now um there's there's no ups but the important things are plugged into the uh apc surge protector (laughs) that's rack mountable (laughs) The top of rack surge surge protector. I mean, I I just, I keep coming back to, you know, and sometimes there's government regulations on this about, you know, not having things so disposable and, and, but yeah, at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, phones have specialized batteries in them that are form fit to the ACE that they're factored into. But, and we, we don't seem to care as a consumer that we're buying these at the time we're buying them, that there's no maintenance or repair cycle for them. So, well, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it bothered me when they switched from phones that had a removable battery that you could remove and swap out without any tools to the integrated battery. It bothered me, but there weren't any options. There was no choice as a consumer. That's all there was. But in China, you can still get a battery replacement. <laughs> um, right. And they'll, they'll unglue the, the device. And some of that's the, you know, the, the if you have people who are willing to go outside of warranty or use older devices and get well, them repaired. That's the other thing that's happening is that people are keeping their phones for longer than they used to. Mm. So the cycle is changing it. It it's over two years. The average phone is over two years old and all the industry is out there trying to get them to change because of 5g. Yeah. But once they move to 5g, 
they're not going to move for a while because it's it's a pain in the butt getting everything back up on a new phone. It took me a few days. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'd love to see phones that you know, everything's not glued together, that there may be, or everyone puts their phone in the case anyway. Why not have screws and things that, yeah, even if you don't repair it yourself, yeah, you can take it down to a local repair shop and they don't have to jump through as many hoops to replace the screen or the battery. Well, my old phone wasn't glued together, and I found that out when the battery swelled up, and I can pull it apart. It was just pressure clipped all around the edge. And so with the right tool, it opens up real easy. I have not opened it all the way up. It's still working, but the battery is even more swollen than it had been. I'm not applying power anymore. I, I and I still blame most, Zoom for these battery failures. <laughs> that's probably reasonable. I um, Most of the time when I'm replacing a phone, it's not because over for years, it has, it's been the battery that's been the weak link in these phones. It's, it's not been, you know, a screen, a, a cracked screen. Sometimes it's a, a charger adapter. Again, that could be, that, that could be a replaceable, that's a wearing part. Yep, exactly. Um, so along this right to repair stuff and some other things, hmm. the uh, there's a report that just came out that said the FCC's uh, broadband uh, uh, minimum requirements, especially for rural areas, is sorely underrated because uh, most agriculture businesses need more upload than the three megabits that are out there because most agri agriculture has evolved to the point of needing to upload a good amount of data to do the analysis to manage the uh, the fields right. and the crops and and whatnot. Yeah. So they need something closer to symmetric, but they definitely need more than three. And they're talking uh, the the report said one hundred uh, down down twenty up. Oof, that's almost a 10x delta from what mm -hmm. Well, it's 25 down currently, and they said 100 down, but they said they need more upload and they need and 20 to 25 would be the the, the real minimum. You have to pay a lot for 20 to 25 up in uh, wealthy new construction suburbs. Yeah, well, what this would do would, would force everybody onto um, fiber. They'd have to lay fiber. And, you know, if we're if the U.S. is subsidizing it, they shouldn't be subsidizing anything less than fiber at this point. If the government is subsidizing uh, getting people onto broadband, they should not be subsidizing anything below fiber. Yeah, that makes sense. But even so, I mean, you're, that, those are incredibly hard to access. It's weird. It feels like we're right on the cusp. Like all these technology, this, I guess this is, the, I'm going to go back to the theme and then we're, we're about out of time anyway, is we're on the cusp of all these tech things that feel like they should 
increase people's our you know you utility um and the because of the way we're manufacturing them they end up restricting they're, they're used to restrict controls or restrict self-access um and I, I and i don't feel like the market's driving people you know we're not we're not currently driving people to want things that they can manage themselves maybe there's some cataclysm where somebody's going to say, I don't want a Tesla that they lock everything up. I actually want something that I can take it apart and repair it and patch the software and, and run it, you know, the windows versus or windows, windows and Linux versus Mac. Um, yep. But it's not the market trend at all. Market trend is the opposite. I think it's gotten so complicated I mean, it may be different for farmers, but I think the average consumer doesn't want to think about it. I mean, I'm an engineer. I think about those things, but the average person doesn't want to, they just want their car to run. They would just want their phone to work and they really don't, they don't want to have to think about those things uh, in the technical, in the technical details of it, especially they might appreciate, Hey, that their phone is repairable but they don't want to have to think about the details. And so they go and buy something that's not repairable. And that's allowing companies to lock them in with systems that aren't repairable. Because most people think, I don't want to repair it myself. I want to just be able to take it to an expert. But most people don't think, I want to be able to take it to any expert. They just think an expert. And then they find out that they can't take it to any old expert. They have to take it to their phone manufacturer's expert. Well, I'm that way with my cars. I mean, I, I can do some simple maintenance myself, but I usually don't. I take it to someone, but I like being able to choose not and to go to the to dealership. Take it to the dealer, yes. <laughs> yep, exactly ultimately consumer behavior yes and we are kind of on that cusp the the issue is capitalism especially the toxic capitalism we're in makes it so it's companies make a lot more profit when they don't have to modify change when they can get people to continue paying them for using something that they manufactured a long, long time ago and not have to remanufacture anything or roll out anything new. And uh, that's what AT&T is doing with, uh, with the, um, with both rural and even areas where, Areas where there's no competition for AT&T and they're the only uh, broadband provider, the cost for broadband is like double to triple the cost in an area where they have competition. And this is block to block. And so competition is a good thing. And when there's no competition because you essentially have something that's uh, – well, the walled garden thing, everything runs on Apple and everything is Apple and you're locked in. People don't realize what a nice prison they're in. <laughs> they, they just think it's well, nice. It's, it's, 
Well, the the complexity, right? It's this is this to me is is the and then we we do need to wrap up. Um, the the challenge that we get is the the complexity that's exposed create a market where there is you know an, a you know a more open playing field is not beneficial, not perceived as beneficial to the consumers at the moment. Right. And well, right, right, like, I mean, we, we had, I mean, the government, I don't, I, I mean, the government came in and standardized like, yeah, they do you know, the plugs, you know, having standard plugs, which was not always the case is a huge win for consumers and industry. Yep. Um, but it took government stepping in to, to do that for, and it actually was a safety, <coughs> safety more than anything else. And, and it's just, it's, going to take time for us to standardize some of these these interfaces and components and we need to as an industry get tired of apis or things that are changing to create competitive lock-in yes from that perspective and and so as an industry um in some ways apple apples doesn't drive it on on the cloud side of things, which is bad because if Apple did, if it was more prevalent, then there'd be more push for, for a standards committee to get a bunch of these things answered. Uh, right now, there's there's not as much of a push because it allows companies to sell more. But at some point, uh, there does need to be standardization. Uh, well, it would certainly make it would make companies who are sitting on their laurels and selling because of their name have to work harder, which is what they don't want to do. But the other companies would actually be able to drive uh, the um, uh, innovation because if, if there's standardization, the innovation can move faster, much faster, especially on the large scale. Mm -hmm. That's that well. But large companies <laughs> don't like innovation competition. <laughs> no. no. The, no, the no, tensions. Not, not, not from the small, you know, ecosystem type of, of thing. That's right. Back in the days when we had neighborhood garages, you want to go back to the cars. <laughs> well, look at 5G. Uh, there are essentially three companies really that do it ericsson nokia and huawei and huawei's getting shut out of a lot of places but how did huawei get to where they were they were shut out of the standards for years until they learned how to play the game then they learned how to play the game and their innovations kept pace or advanced beyond what most of the rest of the companies did and mm. a number of the companies couldn't hack it they're all lucent uh, and that was AT&T. AT&T couldn't, couldn't innovate, didn't want to innovate. So they ended up spinning off Lucent and selling it to Nokia because they didn't want to have to deal with the, the speed of innovation in that area. So the, the best of the innovation that was being driven, it's all going to slow down now if it's just the two companies. 
And we will definitely see that. All right. I, I need to wrap up. Yep. So I, I yeah, I appreciate this. I appreciate the conversation because uh, this is much more nuanced. Than yes. Right to repair. Do a little bit more research into the, the whole John Deere thing, but John Deere and Apple are the two big, uh, big forces that are driving people to want their right to repair, but Microsoft ain't far behind. I agree with you. And I think in some ways, Google also drives it because Google keeps making this hardware and abandoning it. (laughs) So. All right. Okay, I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. So I hope you you got something out of our right to repair conversation, and I am very interested to hear other people's opinions here, because uh, it's not as simple as I want to be able to fix my stuff um, as much as you might want to f- swap in a battery. I think there's a lot of market pressures that make that a hard choice for the manufacturers, and, and I want to hear their point of view in this more. Uh, so looking forward to additional conversations about the right to repair. and. It's a political topic, so I'm certain you'll hear more in the industry too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.